Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke chapter six, and we're going to be looking really just one verse, and actually part of a verse. Uh, you know, we, we went through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, we went through them in Matthew. Luke just says, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. We went through those. But then we also see in Luke's gospel, Luke, uh, from the, the Lord's Sermon on the Plain, this is called, um, as he begin to, began to spoke, began to spoke, excuse me, I was looking at a word there in my Bible. How y'all doing? <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Uh, as he began to speak, uh, it was very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. This is actually a different section. So there's really some interesting things if you compare Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with what we have here in Luke chapter 6. One of the things when we compare, we see there are negative woes added to the blessings. And that's what we saw last week It's uh, where he says, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He warns those who are rich, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And what we saw is that those who are rich in this world but try to live without God are fools. Because remember the man that was going to build new barns, he was going because he had so much, he was going to tear down barns and build more, you know, and just you know continue to accumulate wealth. God Himself called the man a fool. Okay, and the Lord said, "Thou fool, you know, uh, this this night your soul will be required of you." And then who's going to uh, own those things that you've been grasping after. And so we see, as Jesus said, so are the, uh, those who are uh, not rich toward God. So there was a warning there. Come to verse 25, and we read, Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. We're going to look at that. So before we do, let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, open your word to us now. Give us understanding in the Scriptures. Guide us and direct us. Again, we ask, Lord, open our minds and hearts so that we would really attend to what your word says. As we look at this verse in light of other verses in Scripture and compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Lord, we pray you to help us to draw the right conclusions and that by your spirit you would make the needed applications in our lives. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations, the thoughts of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, Heavenly Father. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in his name we pray. Amen. So we have this, uh, really as we call this, uh, Luke 625a, if you're writing down, you, know, you make a small a by it, because there's more to the verse. There's two woes contained in this verse. Uh, they're related pretty close, clearly. All these are related. But this is, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. And if we go look at the positive ones in verse 21, Jesus said to those who were presently hungry, he says, Blessed are you hunger now, for you shall be filled. Now in Matthew, it was blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But here Jesus says, uh, blessed are you who hunger now, presently, that's your circumstances, for you shall be filled. And so there's a promise there. If you're undergoing want and necessities and you're hungry, uh, he said, if you're trusting in God, you will be filled. There is a hope. There is a, a future for God's people. We also remember that Jesus told us 
Well, actually, he told the devil when he rebuked him, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 4, and also Matthew 4, 4. That's an easy reference to remember because they're both chapters 4 and verse 4, when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Uh, Luke tells us that also, but Matthew adds a little more that what Jesus said is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So there's a spiritual food that we need. So Jesus here in this negative woe is saying, woe to you that are full for ye shall hunger. Now, pretty much every one of us here at some times, uh, at least as far as physical food is concerned, we've been full. And is Jesus condemning that? I don't think so. Um, but he is warning there is a type of fullness that brings God's displeasure. And that's, I think, what he's talking about. In John chapter 6, verse 12, this word that's translated uh, full, you who are full, it's a very interesting word. But we see in John chapter 6, verse 12, when Jesus fed the 5,000, everyone ate until they were full. And it's the same word. So Jesus isn't condemning having a nice meal. Uh, clearly, he's condemning gluttony. We can go elsewhere in Scripture that warns against that. Uh, but he, So he's not saying you can't enjoy a meal, that you have to always stay hungry or something like that. He's warning about those who are glutted. The word here that's used in this is in this sense, uh, very clearly, he's talking about those who are uh, satisfied, satiated, uh, glutton, glutton one's desire for, as the various translations given. If you want to look it up in your Strong's uh, Dictionary, if you have one at home, uh, it's number 1705. If you want to jot that down, you can check it out. You can probably go online and type Strong 1705 Greek, and it'll come up for you. You can do study the word out more. But it's im pim Pimplemi, okay, impimplemi is the Greek word there, and uh, pimplemi just means to be full, impimplemi means to be engorged, you know, we talk about somebody gorged, and we add a little word, uh, a prefix to bump it up, that's what Greek does also, so it's one thing to be gorged, it's nothing to be engorged, okay, and this is really, I think, what Jesus is talking about here, those who are full of everything, where they get to the point where they think they don't need God, and that's what I, where I think this is going, um, there's some interesting things about this. You know, Jesus' mother his, of his humanity is Mary, and we have the Song of Mary also recorded in the Gospel of Luke in, in the first chapter. And in her song, she uses this word. And in uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 46, we have the song of Mary, and at verse 53, she says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, that's an interesting phrase based on Scripture, clearly. But it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and she's, He has satisfied the hungry with good things. Mary is praising God in her song. You know, the... Uh, Papists and other idolaters, they make more of Mary than they should, and by doing that, they dishonor her. Uh, they have proclaimed her to be co-redemptrix with the Lord Jesus. And they will say they don't really give her, uh, you know, uh, worship. They just give her, uh, uh, you know, veneration. And it's like, two things, are, you know, if you read what they actually pray, they do pray to Mary. Actually, they pray to their in their imagination, because I don't think Mary pretty clearly from scripture, 
There's only one mediator between God and man, and it's not the Virgin Mary, all right? So this idea of invoking Mary is just simply invoking really a false god, but uh, they refer to her as the one who brings salvation, and you read the devotions in some of the literature, and I don't necessarily recommend it unless you're doing research on this, but it's disgusting. They make more of her, and by doing that, they dishonor this beautiful woman that God used uh, and raised up and blessed to be the mother of the Messiah. But I think sometimes Protestants make too little of her. You know, we don't want to talk about it because of all the abuses in the uh, among the Romishes, uh, Romish type people, followers of you know medieval superstitions, uh, and we ought to make something of her. This is Jesus's mother. We just read where Jesus said, you know, "Woe unto you who uh, are full, for you shall hunger." Look what his mother said. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away. You know, Jesus in his humanity grew in wisdom and in stature, like we're told. And as he grew, he was taught. If you go to uh, chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel at verse 52, note what it says there. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Clearly talking about the humanity of our Lord there. Okay, no doubt about it, all right? Because clearly, as God, as to his divine nature, he didn't increase in wisdom. He is the epitome of all wisdom. All wisdom is found in him. But as a child, he learned. Jesus learned how to talk. He learned what was good and right. Now, he had a sinless nature, so he was inclined to that. As he got the information, he was able to discern. Uh, if you know, If you go back to Isaiah chapter 7... We have that beautiful promise of the virgin conception of the Messiah because um, Ahab was worried that they were the conspiracy up north in the kingdom of Israel was going to come down and take his kingdom away. And in Isaiah 7:14, God uh, basically tells them, you know, you don't need to be afraid. Um, he says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Curds and honey he shall eat. And then note that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Curds and honey are basic food if you live on a farm back in those days. So it's saying that uh, there's going to be quite an effect that the Messiah will grow up in a time when there are nice things. Okay, they won't be under attack by the northern kingdom. But then we're told this, For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you uh, dread will be forsaken by both her kings. So that prophecy there is telling uh, Ahab, Look, the Messiah has been promised. He's going to come. You're worried these guys are going to come and stop the, the Davidic the dynasty, the house of David. It's not going to happen. The Messiah comes through the house of David. Messiah is going to be born. He'll be a virgin will conceive and bear a son. They're going to call him God with us. And before the child knows, those two kings are going to be gone. He's going, but the child will learn. And so we see here that Jesus did increase in knowledge and in wisdom. So why am I making a big deal out of that? Jesus's mother taught him. And you wonder, like, what did, what kind of home did Jesus grow up in? Read the Song of Mary. Take a look at it. Mary said, this is Jesus' mother, okay? And you can be sure Jesus heard this uh, from her quite often and things related to it. She was a godly young woman. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. 
For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. You can almost, in my mind anyway, you can almost visualize Jesus, and I'm not encouraging you to have mental images of Christ, but Jesus is a little boy listening to his mother talk, her telling these things, sharing them with others as she's talking. Uh, she said other things than these, you can be sure. She was a diligent wife and a good mother. And if you read the scriptures, you can find that her and Joseph also, after Jesus was born, uh, they had a normal marriage and they had other children. Jesus had brothers and they're actually named in scripture and he had sisters also. So they had a, a pretty good sized family. But she said to, uh, as she's praising God, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his army, has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So Mary had said that God is the one who fills the hungry and so and sends the rich away empty. Jesus later, as, a, as an adult, taught and said, Woe to you that are full, for ye shall hunger. And so, uh, you know, our Lord grew up hearing the scriptures from his mother, undoubtedly from Joseph also. Uh, and plus, uh, he increased in his wisdom and knowledge as a man. So there's nothing wrong with that. So here we see this idea of being full. Uh, it can have a good meaning, okay, uh, but it also can mean excess. And that, I believe, is what Christ is referring to. Well, how does this come about? You know, the problem's not with the, our, the abundance in our lives, because God promised abundance for his people. Okay, abundance of blessing. And this isn't the prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you're a Christian, you're going to be rich. Okay, but he'll give you everything you need. Okay, I, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need. I may not have everything that I desire, but that's good. Okay, in Deuteronomy 32:15, God, in talking about the blessings he was going to bestow on his people, said, but Jeshurun waxed fat. Jeshurun is, uh, it means a beloved one. Uh, in the Septuagint, that's exactly how it's translated. But the beloved one, Jeshuan waxed fat, that is from the blessings, and kicked. He said, you are waxen fat, you are grown thick, you are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. He was satisfied to the point where he didn't think he needed God. And that's the warning. In Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel, or God said through Ezekiel, in reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, speaking to Judah. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were, by the way, that's not the only sin of Sodom. Some people say, well, see, it wasn't their immorality. Yeah, it was. Read on. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. But you notice Sodom, they were on a well-watered green plain. Remember Lot, he chose to go down that way because when he was with Abraham and they had to divide their flocks because there was uh, too many sheep and goats and camels, etc. for the land where they were. Lot looked out, they were up in the hills, he looked out and saw the, the valley of Sodom, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw it was a well-watered plain full of grass, it just, 
you ever been in an airplane, you look down on the San Joaquin Valley and you see, you know, the, the fields in the springtime, it's really nice, it looks pretty. Well, that's pretty much what Lot saw. So he said, uh, told Abraham, I'll go down there. But he didn't realize that wasn't a good place to be and ended up losing everything. But it looked really good. Well, what was the result of all that prosperity? Without God, it became unto their damnation. They were condemned because of their wickedness. In uh, 1 Timothy 5.13, Paul warns about the younger widows in the church. You know, the church has a responsibility to take care of people that are destitute. But he said, refuse the younger widows, he said, because if they take vows, they're going to end up throwing them off, and then they receive condemnation for that. But he said also, uh, they, with all they learn to be idle. We heard that word up above, reference to Sodom. Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also. And busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So he said they've got too much time on their hands, okay? And he said, be aware of that. In Deuteronomy 32, uh, chapter 32, verse 20, God again warns Israel. This is a often repeated warning in the Old Testament. He says, For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers, that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. They, they're satisfied. They're glutted. They have everything that they need. And so they start thinking, well, who is the Lord? Why should we have to follow God's word? I mean, look, we've got everything we need without him. Uh, it's interesting because when God judged Judah, they often said, uh, when we worship the queen of heaven, we had everything we need. And now, you know, you're coming telling us to repent and we're undergoing famine and starvation and war and pestilence and disease. So in their misguided brains, they concluded that we should go back and worship idols because we had everything we need then. And what they failed to really take into account was when they worshiped God, he prospered them. They had everything they needed and then they fell into idolatry and then they lost it because God chastens his people. And as the Bible says, if you're without chastisement, where of all of God's true children receive that, then are you illegitimate and not real children, not sons? So God chastens his own if they fall into sin. Well, here God says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to prosper them, and then they're going to think they don't need me, and then they're going to turn to other gods, and they're going to break my covenant. In Psalm 17:10. David refers to the, the wicked. He says, they are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth, they speak proudly. It's not that they have enough. It's that their wicked hearts take the abundance that God has given to them, and they think it's because of something they did or they deserve, and they think it's permanent. And so they think, we don't have to serve God. So they begin to speak proudly. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Do you not despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So if you have an abundance, it's God gives that to you so that you can honor him. Psalm 73 uh, it sets forth this in extreme clarity. As a matter of fact, it's the best commentary on this woe that we have in uh, Luke chapter 6. In Psalm 73, 
David says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue talk walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here in waters of a full cup are drained by them. In other words, God's people are weeping while these people are rejoicing. Uh, and they say, how does God know? That is, the wicked say that. And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who all, are, are always at ease. They increase in riches. It's because in this life, this is the only place they have it. Once it's gone from here, they're, it's gone forever. But then David said, this was in his lament of this, he said, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought to, uh, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation in a moment. They are utterly consumed in their terrors. And so it goes on. But the purpose is, is that prosperity can be dangerous. Woe unto you that are full now, for you uh, you shall hunger. If you want to be full, Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. Paul wrote to Timothy and said in 1 Timothy 6.8, uh, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. In verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Feed me till I want no more. Amen.